Hey, welcome back to the podcast. Today we're telling the story of Douglas Wrongway Corrigan. Thanks for listening. Mariah? Casey? Hello, Mariah. How are you? Uh, I'm doing all right. How are you doing? I'm good. Today we've got kind of like a... In the theme of our darling Taffy Holden, we're going to talk mm-hmm. about Douglas Corrigan. All right. So we're going to go back to Downton Abbey days for this. Douglas Corrigan was born in uh, 1907. So he is uh, younger than the Downton Abbey characters, but still contemporaries. <laughs> <laughs> if you need to get like an idea of the time frame. <laughs> So, uh, 1907. So he was five years old during the first episode of Downton Abbey. I'm really just deciding that <laughs> this is the metric we're using. Yes. But, uh, I'm uh, glad you fully accepted the Downton Abbey love. Yeah. Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Lots to talk about there, but yeah. a Downton Abbey episode that doesn't make any sense, Casey. But, <laughs> um, so, uh, Douglas was born in Galveston, Texas, but his family moved around a lot. His parents seemed to have a hard time kind of finding something that stuck. Um, And they hopped around from place to place to place with his sisters and actually ended up divorcing eventually, which back then was pretty unusual, right? Divorce was pretty difficult to get. So not the the easiest childhood in the world, but he did, um, his parents continued to have joint custody, which was also unusual. So I don't know what the deal was there exactly, but he hopped around, lived in a lot of different places and finally landed in California, living with his mom, but still seeing his dad. And uh, he dropped out of school like a lot of people did back then and still do today, obviously, but it, you know, dropping out of school was maybe a more uh commonly more common than divorce more more common than divorce for sure so he's got kind of two knocks so far but uh he dropped out of school went into just regular construction which was the kind of work his dad was doing at the time uh and just kind of didn't really have any big like goals or dreams he was I don't know, a a kid growing up in the shadow of World War One in California when California was awfully different than it is now. Right. Yeah. And uh, so he was just kind of going along, teenager, not a lot on the ball. But, you uh, know, wait, really quick. I will say let's normalize not having dreams, shall we? Can we just it's okay to want a normal life. Right. Oh, it is. It's it's totally fine. Just for all the listeners, if you don't have dreams, you just feel like you just want to live life. You're fine. It's totally well, that fine. That is a dream. It is a dream yeah, to want to have right. like a like a nice, normal, quiet life. That is a dream. Yeah. yeah. That I've had so many people say that they're like ashamed that their dream is to like have a house and a dog and a kid and a spouse. Yeah. Like, no, that's a nice friggin' dream. <laughs> that <Right>. sounds great. <laughs> Love it. Don't be ashamed. Own no. it. No. Right. Exactly. <laughs> no, it's true. I, um, my brother one time, he's in a field where, um, a lot of people have their own business 
And so pretty much everybody said that when people, when he said he was going into that field and he was just like, no, why does everybody want their own business? I don't want my own business. <laughs> I want to go to work. I want to go home. Right. I want to go to work. And then when my day is done, I'll go home. Like, what's wrong with that? <laughs> Nothing. Not, Not a, a damn thing. thing. Not a thing. Gosh. So, uh, but Douglas Corrigan on one day in 1925 was struck by lightning with a dream. He wasn't literally struck by lightning. Okay. I shouldn't say okay. that. We do we do have actual lightning strikes in these stories. So <laughs> he was struck by the lightning of inspiration. And okay. he uh which so back this is just during a time where planes were were not common, right? They were more mm. common than they were before World War One, but still a pretty like unusual thing, kind of a, a novelty, a circus trick and something that maybe rich people use, something that maybe some soldiers were had fallen in love with but uh he was just out he's 18 years old in 1925 and he saw that a a guy had brought a plane like a little two-person plane named jenny which i think is a very nice name for a plane (laughs) yeah and uh it was a curtis jn4 for whoever that means anything to and uh, he was selling rides like it's a, an attraction, right? Like I got to ride on an elephant at a circus when I was a little kid, which that story yeah. has become significantly less fun throughout the ages. But it was fun yeah. at the time. But it's basically that, right? Like it's a ride. So he paid two fifty, which is kind of a lot of money in 1925, right? Yeah. He pays uh, two fifty to go for a ride in this plane. And our boy, Doug is in love he's just smitten kitten he that's all he ever wants to do he he just he loves planes he falls head over heels he wants to fly he wants to work with planes he wants to be around planes he wants to do anything he can with planes so he immediately literally the following week started taking flying lessons Uh, he just pours himself into it. He had like some, you know, basic mechanical knowledge. So he starts to just like hang around the airfield and do any work that anyone will let him do. He's taking the lessons. And so he's learning about, um, you know, the basics of repairing planes while he's learning to fly. Uh, He goes ham on trying to get his pilot's license and by so he got that. He started lessons uh, at exactly this time of year. So around Halloween of 1925, by March 1926, he took his first solo flight. He was just like, this Whoa. is it. This is for me. Right. Just like, bam. So now he's 19. He's flying solo and he wants to just devote his life to planes. He's, he's mad about it. He gets hired by, and I kid you not, Ryan Air. <laughs> No, not really. Kind of Ryan <laughs> Aeronautical Company. So which predates okay. Ryanair by like 90 years and <laughs> was just like a small aeronautic company uh, operating in California at the time. Uh, and they sent him to go work at the San Diego factory. And he's like, yep, checks out. Let's do it. Let's go. Uh, so he goes to San Diego. He's working um producing aircraft for uh, Ryanair. I'm just going to call him Ryanair for the rest of the time. Yeah, um, perfect. And uh, wouldn't you know it? The Ryanair, Ryan Aeronautical Company, got an order to produce Charles Lindbergh's plane, The Spirit of St. Oh, Louis. My God. They got hired 
not only this company, but specifically their San Diego factory is producing Charles Lindbergh's wow. plane to fly across the Atlantic. All right. We're in this, this now. A sweet gig for a, for a sweet boy who loves planes more than anything. So yeah. this is an involved process. Like Charles Lindbergh comes there. He's obviously very knowledgeable about planes himself. Like he's he's involved in the process. And our sweet boy, Doug, and uh, like figures out a couple different things. So he's in charge of the, uh, installing the fuel tanks, which is obviously pretty pivotal because uh, so planes at this time. uh don't go very fast and use a lot of fuel right and so in order to make it so charles Lindbergh's intent was to fly across the atlantic to france which is like a 28 29 hour flight i think a really 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 long time to be flying nonstop in the air there's no autopilot like there's nothing like right. that right so in they're they're designing the spirit of st louis for this very specific task right it needs to be able to carry a lot more fuel and it has to be able to carry the fuel it needs to fly so uh while our boy dougie is working on it he is uh he helps figure out a way of making the wings 10 feet longer to give to to produce more lift and he's also clever in the way that he arranges um the fuel tanks so he really is involved like he's 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 clever he loves planes he's mad about planes and he's really excited to be involved in this project and he's so involved uh they had everybody who worked on the plane actually signed it and so one of the signatures on the spirit of st louis is our boy doug corrigan and there's something called chalks they're like the little blocks i don't know if you've noticed them before at the airport but they put these like little blocks in front of the wheels on a plane just as like a Mm -hmm. to keep it from rolling right the person who actually pulled the chalks on on the flight where charles Lindbergh crossed the atlantic ocean by himself was doug (laughs) sweet baby doug yes sweet baby douglas so he was the one he was like the last person to wave goodbye to Charles Lindbergh. He was right there with him. Wow. So now, new thing for Dougie, he wants to fly across the Atlantic. And he gets that, like, worms its way into his brain, and he's like, I'm going to do it. He's like, ah, I'm I'm Irish though. I'm he's he's descend he's not Irish. His parents aren't Irish, but he's Irish in the way that Americans are Irish. Yes. <laughs> and he's like, I'll go to Dublin. Dublin will be better. Um, and he it just sets his heart on this. This is what he's going to do. He's going to fly to Dublin. So he chats around with friends. He's talking about like how this is his, like, he's going to do this. He talks about how like no one's going to stop him. Like this is all he talks about. It's all he thinks about. It's all he wants to do. Nobody is going to stop him from flying to Dublin by himself <laughs> in something. <laughs> so... Uh, our sweet boys at Ryan Air um, actually move to St. Louis. So they they go where Charles Lindbergh is living. They actually move their, all their operations to St. Louis. And Douglas decides not to follow them. He, he likes California. He's going to stay in California. And besides, he's got to focus on his goal of flying to, to Ireland. <laughs> um, he uh, gets a job at a as an engineer at a flight school. 
uh, interest in flying had exploded after uh, Charles Lindbergh's flight. This is also mm-hmm. when uh, Amelia Earhart is is living, God bless her, and, you know, in the oh. public eye. There's just a lot more interest in flying in general. So Douglas gets a job at a flight school repairing planes, but there's like literally dozens and dozens of students which might not sound like a lot now but at that time of course it was and he's barely ever getting to actually fly so when he actually gets to fly he's like i have to focus on stunts (laughs) i don't have time to just just doug he's like i don't have time like i have to focus this is training i'm gonna be flying across the atlantic he's like 20 right so he's doing crazy stunts in these like heinously like you know, old like rickety planes <laughs> and he's like doing spins and spirals and stuff. And his bosses saw him and were like, Doug, like you can't be doing this in our planes. Like you can't do this in our planes. And he's right. like, you got it boss. And he would just fly out of sight and then just do it where they couldn't see him <laughs> and then fly back and be like, well, you know, like I gotta, you know, practice whatever. So he just keeps doing it. And, uh, this so his days at this place are numbered right like he's not he's a good engineer he's a good pilot but they don't really love him doing this with their planes uh so he gets his what's called a transport pilot license in 1929 so but now he's 22 years old and uh he kind of hops around a little bit from job to job uh he and a friend in 1930 get the idea that they can start like a little tiny kind of like passenger service on the East Coast. On the East Coast, um, as you and I know, stuff is a little more stuck together. You can get a flight. There's utility for very short flights, the kind of flights that are realistic in a small plane. Uh, so they get the idea that they'll have their own little flight company, right? Just hopping people from like I don't know, from like Boston to Martha's Vineyard or from New York City to um, the Hamptons or something, right? Just like little short flights. And uh, they go out to start doing that. But what they really love is to do like tricks. And so they get involved in something called barnstorming, which I, I sincerely don't know why it's called that. But barnstorming is kind of what got dug into flying in the first place it's it's functionally like a traveling circus of planes where you fly around and you do tricks and people can pay you to take a ride people can pay to watch you you know do flips and stuff i mean air shows are cool now i can only imagine how cool they would have been at this time where you wouldn't see planes with any frequency at all right so they get they keep doing their tricks they um, have a little business being like you know essentially i don't know like rodeo like plane rodeo yeah cowboys i don't know (laughs) sky cowboys (laughs) so uh by 1933 he's 25 and he's like okay like so many 25 year olds for absolutely no reason thinks he's old He's not. You're not. not. (laughs) But he's like, okay, it's time to get serious about flying to Dublin by myself. Right. (laughs) Which, again, people are still this is not it's really hard, really dangerous. People die all the time trying to do these flights. Right. Right. Um, But he's not worried. He's going to do it. Um, He 
buys, he, he saves up all his money and he buys a four-year-old Curtis Robin OX-5 monoplane for $310. This wow. plane, Mariah, is like, this plane is like, it's, I mean, everyone imagine your first car. <laughs> it's like your first car, right? But it's a plane. So all the problems, whatever problems your first car had, in the air every problem every yeah. problem the door has to be the door has to be like oh um shut with a wire which is a real problem yep. that a lot of people have with cars right yep. he has yep. to like tie the door shut it's just like god bless him it's the plane he could afford it was 310 dollars oh 310 dollars which is a ton of money but also for not reference, this money. no, not that much money. The Spirit of St. Louis, the plane that he had worked on, cost almost eleven thousand dollars. For reference, wow. so it's it's three hundred ten dollars was a lot of money, but it was not enough money to buy a safe plane. No. <laughs> so no plane, no plane should ever cost three hundred dollars, no matter where, <laughs> no matter when, no matter. No matter, but he, but he, listen, all he wanted was to get his hands on a plane so that he could fly it to, to Dublin. Fucking Dublin. Let's go. He names it the sunshine because of course he does. It's his, he's oh. so just totally in love with this plane and he's ready to modify it. Right. So he's going to modify the sunshine, make it better. And he worked on the spirit of St. Louis, so he knows what it needs. It needs more fuel tanks. Okay, first problem, right? <laughs> How and where, right? He puts these extra large fuel tanks kind of stuffed in around the plane and puts one on like on the dashboard, I guess is the only way I could describe it. It blocks the his view of the windshield. He puts a oh fuel tank God. blocking his view out the front windshield. So he has to look around this additional fuel tank and he puts a fuel tank like underneath his seat so that he has to like, like squeeze his body in. So, cause he's just trying to dunk, get as much fuel on board as he can to try to make a plane that can fly for, you know, almost 30 hours nonstop. So he modifies the plane and is like, it's ready. I'm flying to Dublin. So he goes to get a permit to fly to Dublin. And the officials are like, no, what? No, no, honey. No, no, baby. No, no. Doug. But it is still the 1930s, so they right. approve it to fly cross country. He's allowed to he's allowed to fly over land, but he's not a f allowed to fly over the ocean. Okay. And he's like, "Okay, I'll work with this. I'll work with this." So uh, he works on you know doing cross country flights, just uh, you know trying to improve his you know use his understanding of his aircraft. He you know sees what modifications he can still make. Um, for reference, the distance from New York to L.A. is pretty comparable to the distance from New York to Dublin. Those are really similar distances. So he, if he can fly cross country, if he can fly nonstop from New York to San Diego or to LA, then his plane can make it across the ocean and they're about the same, about the same distance, right? Same, same diff. Mm -hmm. 
So he flies back to California. He's flying the, you know, practicing the plane, keeps making little modifications. Uh, And in 1936, he makes a second request. He said, uh, can I, he, he sends the request. And at the same time that he sends the request to fly from New York to Dublin, he actually takes off from LA to fly to New York. Right. So he sends him at the same time. And uh, so he's not going to know the answer. He's planning to just kind of show up and be like, well, I'm here. You know, you didn't you know, didn't you get my request? He gets to New York and they say, "Okay, buddy, listen. You need a radio and a radio operator license, right? These are the new regulations. You need a radio radio operator's license. He finds that out in New York because he didn't wait for the answer and just took off. <laughs> so uh, the sunshine does not have a radio and Douglas is not going to put a radio on the sunshine. No. He's just not going to do it. I mean, but you're not does. putting a radio in your Toyota Corolla. Like it's just not happening. <laughs> I, I get him. it. Like I understand Doug. I, God bless him. Oh, bless him. But he decides, okay, I'll get a radio operator's license, even though he's not going to get a radio. He's like, okay, okay, I can out finagle this. He goes to get the radio operator's license, goes back to California, gets the radio operator's license, doesn't install the radio, files the request again, rejected again. It's 1937 now, and uh, Amelia Earhart had vanished. And so now they're even more stringent with the rules, right? People, the officials are are kind of feeling responsible for, I don't know, for the loss of life. And also they want right. people to be interested in flying and to feel safe flying. They don't want people to have, you know, they don't want the newspapers to be full of, of tragic stories, right? Right. Just for reference, when did uh, like flight first happen? Uh, like first ever, yeah. Uh, where is it, Kitty Hawk? Where are the Wright brothers? Nineteen oh one, maybe. Nineteen oh. Okay, okay, okay. Maybe. I, for whatever reason, in my head, it's nineteen thirties. Obviously, I know that because I had. Th- I know that that's okay. incorrect because of this podcast, but it's no, stuck it's okay. in there. It's just stuck in my head. No, that. So, uh, December seventeenth, nineteen oh three, is when the Wright brothers had their first brief, brief flights in Kitty Hawk and then uh there was like aviation was very was like a novelty right right and then in World War One everybody's like let's use planes to kill each other and right. so aviation improved quite a bit and then we're in this period between World War One and World War Two now where aviation is like an awesome novelty right people are really interested planes are better but but not great and then there's going to be another leap in the quality of aircraft during World War Two, but we're not Two, there right. yet. Okay. So we're in kind of like this golden age of aviation. Right. And yeah. everything that happens before 1950 in my brain, it happened in 1930 for whatever, everything. Okay. All, all, <laughs> so all 50 Abbey years. So yeah. happens in 1930. 1930, 100%. <laughs> World War One, 1930. World War Two, 1930. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Oh, like, no. <laughs> It's just the media, and I don't know. <laughs> I get it. I get it. it. I mean, 1930 did happen during that time period. So. Right. Yeah. The okay. uh, no, it's our sweet, our sweet boy 
just has gotten rejected over and over and over again. Uh, and here's the thing. He puts in his request to fly from New York to Dublin. And not only do they tell him no, but they say, my guy, look at this plane. Look at this plane. This plane cannot fly. This plane cannot fly. You no more license for this plane to fly at all. So not only does he get rejected, but they tell him they can't. He can't fly his plane. Oh my god! It, what? <laughs> right. So he he's in California. He's made his request. He kind of just like, you know, is told that he's not even allowed to fly his plane. Period. <sighs> It's not being able to take your Toyota Corolla across country. Your parents are like, no, this car will not make it. Right. Which has happened to me. Yes. (laughs) But almost that exact thing. Yes, literally. So, and he says, what are they going to do? Hang me? So he hops on his plane and flies to New York. Right? Yeah. Yes. But honestly, I get it, Doug. What are they going to do? What are they going to do? They're not going to hang you. They're not going to hang you. So Uh. what are you going to do? So sweet Doug hops on the plane uh, and takes off. And it seems like in all likelihood, uh, his intention was to arrive in New York at night, fuel up, and then just take off. Just like, I'm just going to do it. But unfortunately, the regulators are not just being jerks. The plane is not safe. Right. And so it takes him nine days to get to New York. No. No. Nine days. Nine days. Because the plane does break down. The plane does have problems. Because God bless him. I love you, Doug. I love the sunshine. Oh, my gosh, dude. If that had happened over the Atlantic, you would be dead. Right. Literally. So, So sweet Dougie gets there nine days late. Uh, and not only do they like ca- catch him because they're like, hey, buddy, what? <laughs> but also now he's missed uh, like this. He's missed the window for for good weather. Mm. Right. He he the weather over the Atlantic is going to be uh, start to turn. It's fall time. It's it's this time of year again. So right. um, for reference, these planes um, fly literally. I don't even know how this is possible. And I hope someone will correct me. But according to what I read, they flew like 85 miles an hour. Oh, which is <laughs> Is that possible? That's what I'm trying to figure out. Somebody <laughs> tell me that can't be right. But I literally read 85 miles an hour and I didn't have time to like dig in oh at gosh. that moment. So, and they fly pretty low. They don't they're not up right. at, you know, they're not above any weather. They're flying right through any weather. So, sweet Doug. Mm. Admits defeat for now. Thank God. Flies. I know. I know. Flies back to California where he's promptly told like, Doug, we told you. We told you you couldn't fly this plane. We told you. So they locked up his plane. They actually took the plane, locked it up in the hangar. But Doug is like a guy, like a local guy. I don't know how. I don't know if people who maybe aren't from small towns or small-ish towns will totally get this. But he's... And, and New York and L.A. aren't small towns, but the community of like aviators is is small. Right. right. So everybody knows Doug. 
right? They know him. It's not like he can sneak in or sneak right. out, right? They know who he is when he shows up. They know the sunshine, this jalopy of a plane, right? <laughs> so they say, no, Doug, you got to wrap this up. We're locking up your plane. So they lock it up in a hangar for six months. Um, and he just continued to, you know, work, like get odd jobs, doing repairs, working as an engineer, doing all of that. Um, but he was allowed to work on the plane. Like he was allowed to, uh, repair and modify it while it was locked up. And so he just, you know, like he, he worked odd jobs, did, kept doing mechanics work, kept doing, he was still allowed to fly. He was allowed to fly. It was the plane that wasn't allowed to fly. Right. So he does whatever work he can. He does whatever work he can on the aircraft. And by the time the six months is up, he's improved the plane, right? Modified it, done a little bit of this, done a little bit of that. Fuel tank is still blocking the windshield, to be clear. That has not been changed. But because he modified it, he now gets permits to do test flights, right? So he's allowed to test fly it to see if it's airworthy. Um, So he takes a test flight to New York City, (laughs) which takes 27 hours. Oh, my God. But most importantly, he does it in 27 hours. He takes, he goes out for a test flight on his plane that's been locked up for six months and actually flies nonstop from California to New York in 27 hours. So now Doug knows, Doug knows the plane can do it. Right. It's in his head. That math makes sense. Yeah. He was going real slow. It makes sense. Real slow, <laughs> real slow. So he, he knows it. he can do it. He gets it. Uh, there is a fuel leak on the way, but uh, what are you going to do? Something's going to go wrong. At this point, he's invested. He's invested $900 into his $310 plane. Okay. He's invested a lot of money. He's gone flat out. And oh my gosh, the plane did it or did the test version, the 27 hour flight. So he hangs out in New York for a few days, just kind of like hangs around, uh, doesn't repair the fuel leak for some reason. Um, And he's meant to go back uh, on July 17th. It's now 1938, right? He's supposed to return to California like for another test flight back, I guess. Um, on July 17th. Now, in the morning, he wakes up on July 17th, and it's very, very, very foggy. Uh, but he says, like, no, it's fine. I'll, I'll go. I'll go. It's fine. I can do it. I want to, you know, practice flying in foggy conditions anyway, right? I'm a, I can do it. He uh, asks the runway manager which runway he should use. And the runway manager says, you can use whatever one you want. Just don't take off west and hit my office. Right. Which like kind of a joke, maybe not completely a joke. Right. His, <laughs> um, but west is the way that he's supposed to be going. Right. New York to California is west. And uh, Douglas is like, yeah, no problem. Won't fly west. <laughs> his fuels up his plane completely. <laughs> It is so overweight 
that as he takes off, he uses up the entire runway with this little tiny plane. He takes off into the east and vanishes into the fog. Mm. So nobody sees Doug, like, along the way. There's not that many planes. Again, like, these are days where people would... He there's no radio on his plane. So other people would radio ahead and say, you know, um, like, hey, look out for, you know, you should expect to see this little plane around this time. They just everybody it's it's neighborly. Right. There's not that many planes in the air. Everybody kind of keeps an eye on everybody else. Right. And for some reason, between New York and L.A., nobody has seen Doug's plane. Oh, God. And pretty much immediately everyone is like. God damn it, Doug. Uh, <laughs> You're flying to Dublin, aren't you? But no one can contact him because as we all remember, the sunshine does not have a radio. Right. <laughs> and so they start to like contact boats and stuff and they, but, but it's like, there's this dense fog and nobody has seen him. Nobody's seen him on land. Nobody's seen him in the water. Nobody's seen him period. Um, meanwhile, our sweet Dougie boy is very much flying to Dublin. Yeah. <laughs> He's flying straight east, right? Yeah. Uh, he has a couple candy bars, Fig Newtons, and a jug of water. And that's all that will fit because everything else is taken up with fuel. <laughs> uh, he never fixed that fuel leak. Mm. So 10 hours into the flight, he f- realizes his feet are cold because the fuel leak has gotten worse and now fuel is pooling at his feet. Oh. Uh, that's dangerous, right? It can ignite. So he's like doing this mental math or whatever and he takes a screwdriver and just stabs a hole in the bottom of his plane, which again, if that gives you an idea of like what this yep. plane is made out of, that he can just stab a hole in the bottom <laughs> with a screwdriver uh, and lets the fuel run out. But that's a real problem because the reason he has so much fuel on board is because he needs all of that fuel to get there. So he like at first thinks I'll slow down. Like the plane is more energy efficient if I slow down. And then he thinks... No, no, if I slow down, I'm definitely not going to get there in time. So he speeds up and he goes, he like pushes that little baby plane to the limit, (laughs) goes as fast as he can. And gosh darn it all, if he doesn't land in Dublin 29 hours after he left. My word. So here he is in Dublin. He fucking landed it. And here he is. He's done it. Uh, But obviously, somebody is approaching the plane, right? He lands. There's no radio. He doesn't warn them. He can't talk to them. He just gets there and lands, right? And he's just like, oh, I did it, right? And, uh, right, and a guy comes up and, like, everything really rides on this moment, right? He really needs to, like, nail whatever he's going to (laughs) say. And so he, like, opens the door or whatever and says... Where am I? Like, oh, innocent as anything. Gosh. And the airport manager is like, you're Douglas Corrigan. <laughs> Everybody's been looking Fucker. for you. <laughs> right. <laughs> Everyone's been looking for you. You're in Dublin. Oh, as God. I'm sure you know, yeah. you're in Dublin. And he said, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> right. You see, when I took off into the fog, uh, my compass was broken. And I had to use my itty bitty secondary compass. 
And 10 hours into my flight, suddenly I realized I had gone the wrong way. So I just had to continue. And the guy is like, I don't know what to do with this. Like, you don't have a passport. You don't have anything. So they like talk about it. They're like, is it a crime? Like, is it what do we do? How do we handle this? So ultimately, they brought him to the U.S. ambassador. Right. And the ambassador is like, "Okay, tell us your story. And he says, sir, I was returning to L.A. as planned. I was told that I couldn't take off west, so I took off to the east. My intention was to fly a couple miles east and then turn around and go west. I got confused because one of my compasses is broken. And he did have a broken compass. He says, like, here's my broken compass. Look at how broken it is. And uh, then I had to use this tiny, tiny, itty bitty compass. Look at how small this compass is. It was so foggy. I could not see. And wouldn't you know it, I went exactly the wrong way. And the ambassador listens to the whole story and is like, okay, okay, I get it. But tell me what really happened. And he's like, sir, that is what happened. That's my story. That's my story. That's all. That's all I have. And they're just like, okay, guys. (laughs) But here's the thing. So he, so the, the uh, aviation authority canceled his pilot's license, but for 14 days, which means that they put him and the plane onto a steamboat, a full-blown 1938 steamboat and sent him back to New York, right? So (laughs) the steamboat with him and the plane arrives in New York on August 4th and people are going nuts. Everyone in the country has heard about this and everybody is just like goes ballistic. They have a full-blown parade for him and the parade has more people at it than Charles Lindbergh's parade had because everybody because word has just spread about how he got declined 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 for being allowed to do it and so he just did it our boy Douglas never wavered on his story never never Ever. Never. He said, of course, I never would have done it without permission. (laughs) I just got lost. And wouldn't you know it? I landed exactly where I wanted to go. Wow. Right. He never, ever, ever, ever changed his story. He wrote a book the following year called That's My Story. (laughs) No, it's not. It's called That's My Story. That's My Story by Douglas Corrigan. He was in a movie called i think the flying irishman that he and he played himself in the movie he was like a full-blown sensation (laughs) because he just oh he met theodore roosevelt because of course he did like duh or no franklin roosevelt to wrong time frame she he met franklin roosevelt 30s it's fine they were both presidents in in the 30s according to you like in the in the 30s and that in the five decade period no, of the, no, 30s. No, the 30s no, specifically in the 30s so he met the president he had a parade he was in a movie he wrote a book God, so he Spent the money from being in the movie. He spent the money on an 18-acre orange grove where he lived with his wife and his oh. kids. Oh. oh, he said he didn't know anything about farming oranges and just watched what his neighbors did and and cheated off them, basically. Oh he just copied God. whatever his neighbors were doing. And if that isn't the most... Douglas Corrigan thing. Yes. He didn't he didn't even he didn't finish school. He didn't go to engineering school. He just yeah. kind of figured it out. Oh, oh my gosh. 
What a guy. Oh, so then, yeah, so he was in a movie, wrote a book, all this. He actually got a gig working as a commercial pilot for a little while, um, but not for super long. He retired pretty young, lived with his wife and his kids in an orange grove, and died in 1995. No way. So he lived, yes, you and I and Damn. were alive at the same time as him. Wow, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah, and that is the story... Of Doug. Douglas Corrigan and the Sunshine. Damn it, Doug. Wow. Oh, that's incredible. What a guy. I will say a few thoughts. A few thoughts. Please. First, of course, we love this kind of story. Doug, you're everybody's hero. We love you. Congratulations. Love you did that. You stuck to your story, even though we know it's not <laughs> yes. true. But you exactly. stuck to it. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Second, is this why people hate Americans a lot of the time, though? Because they kind of just do whatever the fuck they want and just like land and right. The rules just don't fucking apply specifically to like white men, too. Right. Like, I mean, I feel like I feel like this. I feel like Doug knew what time he was living in. Yeah. Okay. Kind of like all of these rules were invented like last week. This is still like, this is still the before times. I'm not, I don't have to follow your rules. I do think that, that, that the idea. So why do all those rules exist? We celebrate a lot of the reasons why these rules are like good and useful and important. And I think that one of the issues is, like people people don't accept rules that they don't understand mm. and that can be neutral or that can be disastrous right like people who yeah. don't do what the like flight attendant says on board the plane because they don't understand why it's a rule people who stand mm. up during takeoff or whatever cuz they don't understand why it's dangerous right they feel like justified in not obeying the rule because they don't think that it should be a rule. They don't understand it. They don't get why they have to follow it. And I think that that is a real tension. Anytime you're dealing with adults making rules for adults, because they do have to understand what the value of this rule is in order to follow it. Right. And I think that, one of the hardest kinds of rules to enforce are rules that are like for your own good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. Like that's something a lot of people have. And this, cause this isn't like, he's not flying other people. He's flying his own plane by himself. And I can understand people feeling like it's my choice whether I do this or not. Right. If I fall into the ocean, like that sucks for me, but, but it doesn't <laughs> right. affect anybody else. Like I can under, I know that there is like a genuine tension there. Right. right? Where. Right. Yeah. Um, but not the truth on at all on commercial flights where there's a bunch of other people. Right. But, right. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, the timing of it, like, uh, Doug. Well, and he, he, right. He knew when he was alive. And I do think that a big reason why people loved him so much is because he did the same thing Charles Lindbergh did with no support. Yeah. Right. Yeah. With no support. And I think that that's another thing that like if he had been super rich and could have just bought a fancy plane or had a whole plane designed and made for him to do this, then he could have gotten permission. Right. Right. But this is post, I mean, this is 1938. This is 
only a few years after the Great Depression, right? right or like yeah. in that transition. I mean, it's not that over. This is during the time between the Depression and World War II. So I can imagine people feeling like really beaten down and just angry that uh, same like tale as old as time being angry that rich people get to do stuff that you don't yep. get to do, yep. you know, and that. Yeah, no, I think that the the like ethics of the whole thing are genuinely interesting. Yeah, right? yeah. And I think like but... that's that's right. That's exactly it. Like that's the interesting part. It's like he knew what he was doing. Like, no, no, no. We're just gonna do it. Like, fuck everybody else. We're just gonna do it. Right. And I mean, my compass was broken. I don't know what you guys want. Like Right. I ended up right. in Ireland. What are you gonna do? Hang me? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. I think Doggy. it's hard not to love stories like that. I'm trying to remember. I mean, have you done stuff like this? Uh, like fly to Ireland without <laughs> in a Toyota Corolla. Have you ever like have you ever explored something and you're like pretty sure you're not supposed to be there, but you're like Oh, yeah. I can probably plausibly deny being that I didn't know I was supposed to be here. Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah. I, it's hard um, not to. It's hard not to. No. I Maybe I won't tell the story. <laughs> right. I'm thinking I'm not going to tell the story. <laughs> so I'm like, wait, wait, wait. So I think that answers the question, right? Yes. We'll just say a blanket yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard not to. Because that, what is it, like, better to ask forgiveness than permission? Oh, there yeah. are very bad versions of that, very but bad. there are there are versions that we can all just, like, Ugh. really just can't help but get behind. I don't and think my sweet mom by. would ever. But no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> there are certain people who would, would truly never, um, but it really is a mantra, like, you know, within your sphere, as long right. as you're being safe, no one else is getting hurt, everyone is like having a consensual time with whatever you it is you right. are asking for forgiveness for 100% right. mantra to live by like without fail. Yeah, I mean if we were going to like take another hour, we could probably spin <laughs> off and talk about how frustrating it is that like there are a lot of things that are I really want to make sure I don't say anything that could be like twisted into like anti-vax rhetoric. So maybe I'm just going to drop this. <laughs> right. Pro-vax, gay vaccine, because that does affect other people. Right. Unlike you flying by yourself to Dublin. Right. It does affect other people. Right. But but I do get the idea that um, it fundamentally feels like you should be able to do something if it's not hurting anybody. Yeah. I think that's kind of this thing that's very, very, very hard. If it really isn't hurting anyone else, it just feels like I should be allowed to do it. And it's really hard to argue with that, too. Yeah. Right. It's hard yeah. to make a case for why you shouldn't do something if it genuinely doesn't affect other people. And yes. Yeah. It's just such like yeah. a weird time, though, because I feel like. Like that idea has been so warped and twisted in modern society, at least in American culture specifically, that just like, well, it's not going to hurt anybody else. Fuck it. I'm just going to do it. And it's like there's yeah. there's a um, like, what do I want to say? There's like um, 
there's like empowerment behind that. There can be like an empowering like underdog scenario in there. Mm -hmm. And we like Mm -hmm. love a fucking underdog story so much that we just twist it until it's rotten. And I just, you know, like, I don't know. because So that people who people like believe like there are people who really, truly perceive Elon Musk as an underdog. Exactly. Exactly. Right. What could underdog possibly mean? Right. If Elon Musk is an underdog. Right. What could I, I am like no an anymore? amoeba if he is an underdog? Like, I don't know yeah. <laughs> right. what the fuck. Right. Right. Exactly. Dogs are actually the dominant species. Right. If, you know, like, <laughs> humans are actually no longer a thing. No, no, no. It's <laughs> only dogs. No, it's only dogs. Gosh. But yeah, that, I don't know. But it's also like timely, like stories like this coming out of the turn of the century. There's something like, uh, I don't know, like the Titanic or like just like that endeavor adventure, like just trying to figure something out when, you know, it, it like industrialization and everything just starts like speeding up very quickly. So being among the first to do something is also, I think, very uh rare nowadays just because of how fast technology has evolved that it's like you know what actually is next um besides just improving the current technology that we have it's like new creations or whatever but at that time uh being able to just do that with three hundred dollars like holy cow that's a huge deal you know no, it's it's amazing. And that's I guess that's the other thing is that in some level, I think he felt like and and by all accounts did earn it like he earned yeah, it. Right? right. He earned the right to try it in in his like and because at the end of the day, we're not really using an external justice system. Right. right. Like we can right. kind of all agree or assent to a certain for, to a certain degree on on like an external system of like what's right and wrong, but really we're following our own. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. And, and it's much, if your, if your general sense of what's right and wrong aligns with everyone else's pretty well, then you're going to have an easier time generally. Yeah. yeah. But I, yeah. He, and again, here's the thing. The other piece of it is I don't blame people for making a judgment call when it's like, if I do this and if I live, how bad is the punishment? Like, right. I think most of us right. have done things where we're like, okay, if I get caught doing this, what's actually going to happen? How right. much trouble am I going to get in? Yeah. Not that much. Okay. I'm going to go right. for it. Like, that's definitely a thing that I think that's a judgment call people have to make. It's like when people don't have enough money to pay their bills and they mm-hmm. just have to pick which bills they're not going to pay. It's not because they're, like, I don't want to compare. I mean, uh, this his thing wasn't like a life or death necessity, but right, I just yeah. think that people have to make these judgment calls. And right. And he made one. <laughs> he made yeah. a judgment call he and did. it paid off. Yeah. Thank God. So. Oh, my God. Yeah. Amazing. So sweet. Oh, the plane. The plane is actually at a um, museum in oh, California. Thank so you God. can go see the plane. The oh, sunshine. Thank God. I and can't wait to look it up. Yeah. And if you look at the um, Spirit of St. Louis, you can see his name on it, too. Oh. You can see the where he signed it. Yes. So 
Yeah. Amazing. So lots of fun stuff. If you see the plane, you can see like, oh my gosh, can you imagine flying this over the ocean? <laughs> oh God. But... <laughs> Cause it's nothing. Uh, it's nothing. It's like a little. It's it's just a little stick plane. But I love it. I do have a fact. If we want to, <gasps> if yes, we want to go into that, it's funny that this is the story you picked because it's kind of. I have a an odd plane fact today, that circular cir- circular <laughs> circular sawed through Facebook, <laughs> and I had to fact check. <laughs> I had to fact check it and it turns out it is true but it is misleading because of Mm -hmm. course because it's facebook so the claim was a pilot from south african airways has been flying for 20 years with a fake license okay that's that's the claim and i was like there is no way in hell that that dude flied for 20 years with a fake license and it's it's USA Today claims that it's true that he did fly for 20 hmm. years with a fake license, but the details are a little bit uh, like, you know, not so clear. But essentially what happened is he worked as a flight engineer at the state owned uh, South African Airways before getting a job as a pilot. And he was okay. a first he was like a senior first officer. And I guess the way that South African Air, I guess maybe all airlines do this now but um in order to fly longer you have to have like a certain type of license versus just flying from like you know new york to buffalo um Mm -hmm. and he one day in like 2019 or uh one of the later 20 teens he uh was flying from south africa to germany and somewhere over the swiss alps things got a little bit uh what's the quote he made some strange turns <laughs> over the swiss alps okay. which uh okay. led to an investigation and basically the investigation was uh turned up that he he didn't keep up with any of his like certifications and he was doing these like long flights but he didn't have that license for it um he was only oh. uh licensed to fly like very short commercial air and like um like flights and so you know after like this whatever turbulence thing that he did for some reason uh they did an investigation and found out like he had somebody helping him create fake certifications and submitting it to south african air and uh i'm there is no information about him of what happened they filed criminal charges they were fining him millions of um what's the south african currency why am i not thinking of it rand yeah rand yeah and you did know that i actually know (laughs) (laughs) it's like it's right there (laughs) uh so he got fined you know millions of south african rand and then there's just no information so no idea what happened and I, I don't know. I don't know if you would consider that flying on a fake license. I guess technically, yes. And he didn't have all the certifications. It didn't take any of the tests and stuff. So, like, don't do that, obviously. Uh, but it wasn't like he was just the some random dude who flew the plane. You know, I was like, come on. Right. Facebook, but. Right. But also, like, why didn't right. he? <laughs> right. Like, I wonder why right. he didn't. Because, like, sometimes I feel... 
I have a really hard time. You, we've talked about this too many times. I just have no bloodlust. Like, I just feel like if I was, if I was like judge of the world or whatever, <laughs> and I got that case, I would just be like, yeah, buddy, I don't know. Like, you got to go do the certifications, <laughs> but like, no one got hurt. Like, I can't help it. I just, <laughs> I can't help it. I just, because I, I just, I'm so curious why. Like, right. and is it because he couldn't do it? If he's flying. Right. I don't know. I think it probably was just that he would get found out after a while. Like, I don't know why you wouldn't have done it at first. It's like, you know, 1500 hours. Or like and, once it kind of. Right. Like you're already yeah. flying these long commercial flights. It's like, oh shit, I gotta actually get this license. I guess you just keep going. I don't know. Maybe it costs money. Right. I don't know. You'd think that. Yeah. I just wonder. It's such a strange thing. It, it, he's he's clearly like capable of flying the plane unless he kind of fibbed it right like if he just was he you said he was a captain right so if you just like always made the first officer fly no he was the first officer yeah oh he was a first officer that's so strange how did he do right that? right no idea and he was a first officer for for so many years yeah. which is kind of unusual right Right. That's so interesting. Yeah. Bummer. So bummer that he got caught. I know. <laughs> but bummer, also, right? I mean, also I I hope that I mean uh some administrator is gonna get in trouble too. Like, how did this yes, get missed? Yeah. And I think they did, yeah. I think Man. a lot of people got in trouble. Dang it. I don't know, it's weird. Like it's weird that it kind of circulated again. Circular is the right word. Why does it sound wrong? Circulated is the it's, right word circulated there it yes. is is that is that what you said no i said circulared oh fine oh, it's, it's one of those days yeah yep Bedtime. <laughs> uh i we've had well there's so much to be said about this so yeah. if any of you want to email us a few of your own thoughts definitely tell us if you have tons of bloodlust and you want people to suffer for their crimes certainly <sighs> you can let us know um <laughs> and all, all uh yeah uh i love you mariah everybody i love you too love did you want to mention about uh the posting posting yeah so Maybe you might the days if you've if you've made it this far then you might be interested to know so um you better make it this far damn it <laughs> just kidding it's just been so wild over these last couple of weeks months oh whatever God. it is now and so in the midst of that, there's also um, my husband who edits the, does the sound engineering for these, his schedule changed. And is it okay to congratulate you publicly on your promotion, Mariah? Yeah. Okay. Yes. So you, thank you. Thank you very yeah. much. You got a big fat promotion, which means Oof. big fat work all the time. <laughs> Responsibilities. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just kind of messed with our um, recording schedule. And then um, I have a very hard time in the fall and I'm going to leave it at that just because yeah. I know I don't yeah. want like my dear sweet yeah. mother to worry and she listens to this, but I just have a really <laughs> no, tough time. I think a fall. lot of people could probably relate. Yeah. A lot of people can yeah. relate fall is a really tough time. It is. Especially in the Northeast. School trauma, man. The body remembers yeah, having to go back to school. And I know that for some yeah. people that's not even a bad thing. And I'm so happy for you <laughs> if it's not. Right. But um I know. This yes. is the fall that I can't sm this is like the first fall I can't smell. So oh, I think gosh. that's helped a lot. You know, but oh, I think it's gosh. like helped. I mean 
good. I mean, it's not been a great fall. Don't get me wrong, piece. but right, right. Yeah, yeah but I'm just like, ugh. oh my gosh. But it's so you get to just enjoy the weather. At least it's ni- that's nicer to right. get to enjoy the, right. the cool weather. But yeah, exactly. so we're just bumpy, and yeah. um, we're gonna hopefully be much more on track that is the intention (laughs) right we are a smidgen ahead now in recording um we do want to put them out every week we might have to change the day um around the idea would be to set a new permanent day so maybe friday um to work around everybody's work schedule a little more easily yeah and uh yeah but we do love you just hang in there with us yeah. Right. We're not going anywhere. I know that probably no. a lot of people who all of you yeah. are willing to be like, I don't know, you're willing to listen to an, like a clearly new non-professional podcast. Right. So right. I think it's totally possible that some of the people who listen to us have gotten burned before and like really liked yeah. an episode of something. And then the people dropped off the face of the earth and never came back. We're not yeah. going anywhere. No, We're just, no, no, no. <laughs> We're just no. having a little bit of a bumpy season, so. Yes, a little bit of turbulence, if you will. Uh, it is. It's a little bit turbulent. <laughs> the, what is it? The plane is dancing, so. The dance, yes, literally. <sighs> so, um, but we'll, we'll, you can, as you all know, you can email us or uh, talk to us on Instagram anytime, and we are working on being being here when we say we're gonna be here <laughs> so yes yeah. yes so i apologize out if you questions. can hear my dog in the background no it's nice to hear from the doggo <laughs> i think ty just got home but, well i'll i'll let you enjoy your sweet doggo your sweet pup and yeah. um i love you mariah i love all of you i love you casey i hope that you all have the best day bye bye Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Hey y'all, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Pod Crashed. We so hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us for any reason, you can email us at thepodcrashed at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram and TikTok. We love every last one of you and we love hearing from you. So we hope we get to uh, hear from you soon and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye.